0: This is One in 59, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. One in 59 is a weekly show devoted to topics related to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to One in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And this morning, I'm speaking with Maxine Rosaler, uh, who is an author and a mother and is going to tell us a little bit more about herself. So, Maxine, thank you for being on the show.
1: Well, thanks so much for having me, Eliza, really. Um, I love talking about this stuff. I think it's kind of like a form- Form of catharsis, and also I think it 's so good to to be with other parents. I think we can we are each other 's um most profound and useful source of support anyway um, you know i 've been writing fiction for over, literary fiction for over thirty five years short stories mostly essay, essays as well um, I've been publishing, you know, various literary quarterlies like Southern Review and Glimmer Train, um, and, you know, got some literary recognition, not much, because I, I didn't really do much because I was very, you know, to sell myself because I was very busy with Benji. Anyway, what happened was I had these three books that I'd written. One was a collection of short stories. Another was a... Um, Another novel in stories, and then there was a novel in stories about Benji, Queen for a Day, and so um, I, a friend of mine submitted it to her publisher, and they decided to publish Queen for a Day. And that was, you know, really, you know, it's the first, I've, I've written, I've also written, you know, I've always earned a living as a writer, so I wrote, I wrote a lot of books for hire, and then I, with my husband and I wrote a book called The Devil on Trial, and I was actually hired to write a book about Asperger's Syndrome by an editor who never even knew that I had a child with autism. But I guess that's enough about me, mm-hmm. right?
0: Well, <laughs> that, that's a start. I think I'm going to follow up about a few things. So, um, yeah. so you, you've always been a writer, at least for the last 30-so years. <clears throat> No um, I always have. I've always learned to living
1: as a writer one way or another. We I started were, writing
0: fiction I started writing
1: fiction about 30 oh my god 36 years ago I don't know.
0: It's well like we don't have to crazy. get lost in the years. I'm actually yeah, interested I I'm, I'm I'm a little <laughs> interested in in your childhood. Were you a a child who wrote? Did you did you always express yourself through through the written word? Well, I could say that, um, it's
1: kind of funny. I think I've told the story before, but I've all all my life, ever since I was in third grade, I wanted to be a writer. And um I actually wrote my first novel when I was in third grade and my parents um guessed the ending and I was so humiliated <laughs> that I think I stopped. Yeah, that's it. I mean it's weird. It's like it's really weird. Anyway, I you know, so I always always wanted to write fiction, I always wrote poetry, um, and then um you know, and I well, but you know, I was very discouraged by my family, really discouraged by them, yeah. and I kind of let them control me. Um, and it really wasn't until I met Phil, my husband, Phil Margulies. Um, I actually was in the process of writing a um, short story. You know, I finally decided to hunker down and write a short story, and when he came into my life, and Phil is um, lives on books. <laughs> he just that's his like. He's the you know, he's the, um, you know, the regular, the, the first, the paradigm for a bookworm. I mean, to, to just give you an idea of how my parents discouraged me, my, I once told my mother when I was in my twenties, you know, mommy, I don't think I'm going to look for a job. I think I'm going to write. And she actually dropped on the floor.
0: Wow. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, so I was like, under, I, I,
1: you know, anyway, that's it. So that's my, okay. that's basically my story, but that's always been my, the only real thing I wanted to be, except of course a singer and an <laughs>
0: okay well that you know that all works. Yeah. So so okay so thank you for that. I, I, I understand It's always nice for our listeners I think and for me to get a, a little sense of the whole person where you have this book out called Queen for a Day um, and you also have uh, now I guess with your husband you have a son named Benji um, and it, it is ironic I guess in some ways or qu- I don't know what the word is but um, that you were at one point asked to write a book about uh, Asperger's Syndrome um, by somebody who didn't know you had a personal connection to Somebody with autism. Um, yeah, it was, did, it was, and I really, I actually
1: wrote the book for Peanuts,
0: um, mm-hmm. and the editor was a real jerk, um, and he
1: drove me crazy. But I wrote it as a work of advocacy, really. Um, and anyway, yeah, that is ironic. <laughs> oh, God. So, so
0: tell us a little bit about Benji, and you know how old he is, and um, and and what he's doing, and then if you can just get into some of the uh, some of what you. I guess let's start with the reason why you wrote Queen for a Day, um, and, and
1: okay, well, you know I am a writer, so I um, when I I spent many years not writing because um, I was so busy with Benji, and I have a, I have a daughter too; mm-hmm. um, she's three years older than he is. And finally, when I had a break from you know from Benji, I went back to my writing, and I'm not so sure that this was the first thing I wrote about I'm really oh no you know what I did I did I wanted to write a memoir about this experience so I wrote an entire memoir and it was really awful. It just was like very like icky. you know mm-hmm. think close to the truth can sometimes really be repulsive, especially when the truth is so you know painful mm-hmm. so Finally, I decided, well, gee, the way to approach this really is is through fiction, and so that 's why I decided to start writing short stories. However, the first piece in that in the uh, memoir that I had to throw out and writers throw out probably like Oh gosh, who knows? Anywhere from half to ninety nine, fifty to ninety nine percent of what they write. In the first piece, first piece actually worked very well, and then I just decided to approach it the way I approach everything. You know, I always try to get to the poetry of life, but also the ugliness of life, and I I really write from my heart. So I, I'm very sincere about what I write, I don't really hold anything back. I think it's very important. I think honesty is so important um, in every human being. But as a writer, if you're not honest, then it just doesn't work. And also, I need to sort of temper everything with irony or else I, you know, I'll go crazy. Okay. So that's um, how I approached the book. And uh, I decided to tell the entire story from, you know, and um, I decided to tell it in the form of short stories and I was actually surprised when the editor told me well let's call it a novel in stories and I looked at it and I said I'd actually written a novel which was really
0: weird I hadn't re- realized it. That wasn't your initial intent. You didn't go out planning to write a novel. You uh, uh, Let me ask you this. So, so going back to the memoir, which we don't have to get into the details since it was troubling, but um, so that was, would you say that that was something, um, are, you, are, are you a person who kind of looks at that and says, okay, well, I threw it out and I and I didn't have it published and it was, as you said, icky, but was it important? Do you, do you look at that stuff and say, okay, well, either way, that was necessary. That was something that I had to do for whatever reason. Was it cathartic? For you?
1: Well, you know, I really, I really don't know. I really can't say. I mean, it's a good question. I think for any writer. In fact, you know, it's interesting. this it doesn't really relate to you know, just to sort of veer away briefly. Um, all those years when I was dying to write fiction, and actually stories were actually running around in my head that I didn't write down. I was always writing. So I was a journalist, and I was writing, you know, like business. You know, I was writing all sorts of things, right, for a living, right, mm-hmm. quote unquote, and. I realized that was training. Mm. So who knows? The other story I wrote, actually, the other thing I, well, the other way I tried to approach the subject, was even more revolting. Equally revolting was I tried to write the story in the voice of um, an autistic child, my son, wow. and it really. Didn't work. It was kind of. I'm embarrassed. I showed it to my, you know, my 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 brother, my my husband's brother, and he's very critical, and I thought, oh God, he thinks I'm an idiot. But I actually managed to save one little piece from that, which was um, a little story called the um, boy who lived on a desert island. So, you know, there you go. So I wrote this entire memoir. I managed to get the first piece, and that was really a good piece. Mm-hmm. And then I got, like, some little, like, four-page story out of that stupid memoir, stupid, um, you know, um, Roma, you know, Roman Clef, whatever it's mm-hmm. called, for, you know, mm-hmm. if you call that, in the voice of an autistic child.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting. I've interviewed several authors um, on this show over the years, and uh, most of whom, maybe all of whom, uh, have a child with autism, sometimes – with additional um, diagnoses and challenges and sometimes you know uh, somebody on the Asperger's end of things and sometimes somebody with more uh, significant challenges and it's interesting to me because some of them have written in that way that you just described some of them have written a book where it, they really try to get into the perspective of their maybe nonverbal child on the spectrum some of them have have most of them have just sort of told their story as a parent uh, you I believe are the first author that I've talked to who went this route of of writing it as fiction but clearly from what you're saying it it seems like it's fiction but it's but it's still got a tremendous amount of truth for you and for your experience is that is that fair? Yes I mean I'm glad you asked me that I mean first of all I hate these books that talk about how
1: wonderful it is, or the cures that you know that the kids are cured, I mean you know, I really hate them I think it, i don 't think it helps parents at all. in fact, most mothers I know won 't read those books, and so I thought it was very important to um, tell the truth of the experience. Um, I, you know, I actually forgot what you asked me, but the mothers in this book yes it 's very much based on my experience, however. Fiction really gives you the opportunity to tell greater truths. It really does. Because if you're a non... I mean, lots of nonfiction writers will go and, you know, phonally add stuff, then they say it's the truth. But I won't do that when I write nonfiction. Um, But fiction really gives you an opportunity to get to the core of things. And so... That's why it was so liberating for me to do that. Mind you, this was, some of these stories took me years to write. I wrote this collection of, of a period of 15 years. Yeah, yeah. And there were, some that were, there were two stories that were really impossible for me to write. One was the Yolanda um, story, which is about when Mimi goes to a hearing um, mm. with the people at the um, Board of Education. Mm. Now, these people were so cruel that I didn't really know how to deal with them until I finally decided to deal with them ironically as com- to make fun of them. And Ooh. that freed me. Okay, interesting. And then there was this lawyer, who, t- this, this advocate, who totally screwed me. And I was so angry. Um, and I couldn't decide how to deal with her. Um, and I realized, I you know, it doesn't work to make a totally, you know, Black and white, black character, right? Mm-hmm. So I had to interview another mother um, and give her a sympathetic background story. Yeah. So that's how I approached it, and I feel like I feel I, you know, I really, quite frankly, really do feel. And I know this might sound like vain, but it's true. And I don't believe in false, you know, I don't believe in false modesty, but I do believe I. I did a service to my other mothers because I've been, you know, I've gotten a lot of, I've gotten a lot of calls from mothers, telling me, "Thank God, our truth is finally out there," you know. Yeah. And it was really, it's another interesting thing is, and again, this sounds like really, you know, self-aggrandizing, but when I got the call from that they were going to publish this book, as opposed to my other books, I'm, you know, I was very ambitious as a writer, and I, my, I just wasn't, didn't feel ambition. I really thought about the other mothers because I'm in a community of mothers who are working so hard for their children. They're giving up everything, investing all their hopes, looking, you know, and I include myself in that category, you're looking what is it about your child that is good and can be, give him a meaningful life within the context of his her disability and it really wasn't until I started self-direction which is a program in New York and in other states as well that allows parents to take control of their children's lives, meaning we decide what they're going to do. We keep them out of these horrible day care centers, which are like concrete rooms where people, you know, they're just holding cells, most of them. We keep them out of group homes, and we form programs for them. So what I did with Benji was he... He was in a, you know, special education really, really failed him miserably. In fact, I just wrote, just writing an essay about that. You know, they didn't address his, impo- his lack of impulse control, his um, ter- tremendous problems with attention. They lied to me and told me how great he was. I could tell you stories, but we don't have time. And it really wasn't until he started self-direction, that Benji has begun to really live a life that is meaningful and productive. I hire a staff, I've over, hired over 100 staff, there's always turnover, but I have people going to school with him, he, they work with him from, for, from 8 in the morning until 8 at night, and then he has a neurotypical roommate, he lives with him, I, with him. I actually found an apartment, him in the apartment, which is like a miracle. And he's he's majoring in chemistry at um, City College. He's turned out to be a tr- really very talented draftsman. So I'm always trying to figure out, well, what's the next step? But again, in terms of Denji's deficits, his problems with impulse control have his- Tremendous difficulties with social communication. There's a tremendous disparity between Benji's intellectual functioning and his social functioning. I'll try to, I'll, you know, just out of respect for him, I won't give you the age, you know, what the, what the violin say. But, no, you know, no. But astonishing.
0: Uh, well, um, I, yeah. I, I know about the—I know I've—, I've uh, uh, over the years at Anderson, I've worked with some families around that particular assessment, and um, you know, it's it's it can be brutal. So I do understand that. I want to just interrupt you for a quick second. Uh, we're going no, to take a me. we're going to take a we're going to take a quick okay. break, and then we're going to come back and finish the interview. This okay, is great. this is one in fifty nine, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and we'll be right back. When you love someone with autism, one question takes center stage. How do you give this person you adore the best shot at a wonderful, fulfilling, productive life ahead? At Anderson Center for Autism, we work on resolving that question every day. Our mission, which drives everything we do, is to optimize the quality of life for people with autism. What does that mean? It means interactive classrooms with state-of-the-art technology. It means spirited arts, music, and recreational programs. It means job training, volunteer, and community integration opportunities. It means events and support for siblings and parents. It means safe, welcoming residences designed for people with autism that feel like home. And at the heart of it all, it means aligning every single thing we do at Anderson with our belief that quality of life is directly tied to the quality of relationships. You see it in the smiles, the high fives, and the fact that every breakthrough begins with a strong, uplifting, nurturing human-to-human connection. Come experience it for yourself, schedule a tour, or learn more at andersoncenterforautism.org. Welcome back to 1 in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and today I'm talking with Maxine Rosaler. So, Maxine, you've been talking with us about a lot of things, your background, your background as a writer, your family, your son, Benji, the the book that's out right now, which is Queen for a Day, uh, which was very interestingly, and and, uh, you wrote as fiction based on the truths of yourself, your son, I'm sure your husband, as well as so many other parents that you interviewed throughout this process, it made me think when you were talking, you said something in the first half of the show about how you don't, if you're writing nonfiction, you, you, you're, you pledge to keep it nonfiction. You don't add little things in to kind of make it work, so to speak. When you're writing fiction, uh, obviously it, it is, it is a, a different approach. You said something that really spoke to me, which is sometimes writing fiction frees you. To, to actually tell more truths and that reminded me of the theater and of and of other forms of art where you know you you're being upfront about the fact that yes this is this is not necessarily quote unquote real. And, and in that case, I'm talking about going to see a show, but, but the emotion and the reaction that you can evoke from your audience. And in your case, the reader can sometimes be most real when you're allowing them to, to kind of live this through storytelling and through fiction, as opposed to the, sometimes the harshness, uh, of, of just straight up, black and white, you know, this is what what happens. So, I don't know if that resonates with you, but I just wanted to let you know, that's what it made me think of when you said that earlier.
1: Well, no, it's totally true, because fiction take, you know, I mean, there's so much in fiction depending on what you do with it, and you know, there's poetry, it speaks to the heart of, you know, of what people really feel and what people really think. It allows you to go and, you know, I like to veer into the absurd every now and then mm-hmm. to sort of like, you know, get You know, to sort of distance myself In order to sort of like really be as vicious as I can in a way Um, Not vicious, I shouldn't say vicious But realistically critical Like for example, when I described the people at the Board of Education um, in Yolanda, and that was a story that was so difficult for me to write Finally I decided to just make fun of them And it was great Mm -hmm. And it actually freed me Mm -hmm. And 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 it actually got to the core of their duplicity And you know, it wasn't a falsification of who they were were. Right. But if I just said this person was horrible, it wouldn't work. I
0: I, I think, um, I'm, only, I'm smiling over here, which you can't see because we're on the phone, but but uh, I, I'm smiling only because I think that there's probably many parents, um, some of whom have great relationships with, with their school district personnel and, and going through that process, but there's probably quite a few who, um, who may have appreciated that especially because, from my understanding, just talking to a lot of families over the years, that, that can often be a very trying experience and one that you kind of Go into with all the hopes in the world that everybody will collaborate and partner, um, and be positive and see yeah. and see what's yeah. good for your child, and then you're you're sort of rudely, uh, your eyes are open to the fact that that's not necessarily always the way it works.
1: Yeah, it's like it's like you know rubbing salt in the wound. Mind you, there was one woman who was fantastic, and guess what? They created a false case against her and got tried to get rid of her. Interesting. And that's what happens because I know a lot of people in the social services industry, and when you work too hard and you're too devoted to your clientele, they really. Get rid of you because there's a their the, the main concern is the budget,
0: which doesn't make th- And I, I, I know, you. this happens.
1: I'm not okay. Again, you know, again, I don't want to make a blanket indictment against all of them, mm-hmm. but this this happens across the board. Doctors, you know, lawyers, every you know. And I'll tell you one thing about self-direction that I've really learned. I've really learned about people. I've always people have always been my major interest as a writer, of course. But I really know what it takes to be a really Good person. And I've gotten so good at hiring people for Benji that I have, like, now about four people. Who I could slice them anyway And there is goodness there Whereas like some people Like I hired this graduate student To um, Benji was taking You know again, the chem- He was in um, oh, Physical chemistry Which is very difficult You know And she just quit on me She's a very good She's a good person mm-hmm. But she's But you really Get to value The goodness in people And you get to see through You know The bad You know And you get And you really become You really get to know it And again Getting I you know, A major concern I have to get to the death program okay Mm -hmm. I mean we're all terrified you know parents have accomplished amazing things I wish we had more time to talk about this Um, I could list it but I won't Um, what is going to happen to our children when we're dead there are I spend some days go by and I have no idea what I did because it's all Benji stuff Um, you know we have to constantly be subbing for people constantly planning hiring people training people firing people and so now the self-direction program, which has really saved our children from day-hab programs where, for example, the best day-hab program that I ever visited, supposedly, the one that was creme de la creme, you know, there were kids sitting around, like a table, punching holes in paper. Benji, I had no idea what would have happened to Benji had I ever put him in something like that. Mm-hmm. And also group homes. We're saving them from group homes. And we're also saving on the state a lot of money because, you know, we're not paid for all this work. What is going to happen to our children when we're dead and also what's going to happen to the funding with Medicaid and that guy who's you know got like somehow elected Jesus how, how did that happen but whatever you know the Republicans would no anyway uh, what's gonna happen so we're all in a panic now
0: yes I think that uh, the the idea of uh, planning for when you' when you've been the primary caregiver for your child mm-hmm. as they've come out of the school system and gone into adulthood it's definitely something on the minds of a lot of people and and the saddest part is that is that you're right there has been very little if any form planning or structure really throughout the country to address that. Um, we are still, consider this, we're still in a position of educating the, the general population that autism spectrum disorder is not a childhood disorder, that it doesn't go away. You don't grow out of it. There are still quite a few people in the world who, who don't necessarily understand that because of a lot of different reasons. Um, I, but I so I, I, I agree with you that there's still tremendous work to be done. I do appreciate your insight into the self-direction program. It's, it's something that a lot of families are becoming more and more aware of every day yeah, as I'm an option. Yeah, people are
1: aware of it.
0: Yeah. I, work, I, I, just, I started off
1: when Benji graduated high, high school. I actually spent two weeks writing a proposal for an agency, and I hired someone initially for $11 an hour um, because, you know, they get $39 for every blah, blah, blah. And they never told me about self-direction. Yeah, and it's no, no one but no one but a parent will really really give this kind of attention and care to a child. It's
0: uh, it's something that you can get more information about now. And again, it's it's getting a little bit more uh, notice um and and publicity at this point. But I do appreciate you sharing your experiences. Mm-hmm. I have one last question for you as we finish this up, Maxine. What are your plans for the future? Are you going to continue to write? If so, do you have plans for another book uh, like this, or, or are you moving into a different direction? And what are Oh no, no. Oh well I was actually right in the middle of having so much fun writing a
1: thriller. I decided I would write a thriller because, you know, I I'm so used to you know, just and I was having a lot of fun doing it mm-hmm. and, you know, until I was so rudely interrupted with this publication deal. Um and then there was so much so I'm writing you know, I'm writing a literary thriller and I'm putting some of some of autism into one of the one of the main characters. But it's not about autism, but everything I write is always informed by my own experience. Mm -hmm. So I always put myself into the characters. Um, And I am, you know, I, I, but this is not, I'm not uttering the word
0: autism. Gotcha. All right. But But it's all there, you know. Well, well, I really appreciate you sharing your your insights, your experiences, and information about the book. Where can people go if they want to get their hands on a copy of Queen for a Day? Where would you where would you point them?
1: Well, unfortunately, I have to say Amazon because I don't know what the distribution's been like on this. So I think uh, you can always get it on Amazon, and then you know, then I have a website um, which is Benji actually made for me. It's rather primitive, but all my interviews and reviews are there, and it's called just you know Maxine Rosal dot com. And um, there's a list of bookstores there.
0: Great. Thank you so much. So if you're interested in learning more about Maxine and her books and her prior writings or reviews, go to MaxineRosaler.com. That's R-O-S-A-L-E-R, correct? Yes. Okay. And again, thank you, Maxine, so much for being on the 1 in 59 show today. We appreciate your time and wish you all the best for the future. It's a pleasure talking to you, really. Thank you. This is 1 in 59, a talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozensky and remember, Anderson Care. You've been listening to One in 59, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. Join us for another edition of the show at the same time next week.